keep that, uh, please, in your hearts and in your prayers. And uh, turn to Ezekiel, if you will, chapter 27. <coughs> Excuse me. Ezekiel chapter 27. And hearing a lot of people say, oh, I'm, I'm sick, I've got this and I've got that. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't until right now. I guess I'm catching everything. So I'm start hoping, hopefully my voice doesn't uh, go out on me here tonight. Ezekiel 27, let me read the first four verses to you and we'll get right into our study this evening. <clears throat> the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Now, thou son of man, take up a lamentation for Tyrus, or Tyre, T-Y-R-E, in most of your translations, Tyrus is King James. And say unto Tyrus, O thou that are situate at the entry of the sea, which art a merchant of the people from many isles. Thus saith the Lord God, O Tyrus, thou hast said, I am of perfect beauty. Thy borders are in the midst of the seas. Thy builders have perfected thy beauty. What does all that mean? Well, as I mentioned last time, <clears throat> excuse me, Chapters 25 through chapter 32 uh, deal with the judgment of God to be poured out on the nations that surround Israel and Judah. Now chapter 25, as we studied last time, or actually a couple of weeks ago, uh, focused on the judgments of Ammon, the Ammonites, Moab, the Moabites, and Edom, the Edomites. Chapters 26 through 28, where we are now, last week and this week and next week, will deal with the judgments upon Tyre. And Tyre, of course, is in the area that is today known as Lebanon. And after dealing with the destruction of the city-state of Tyre in chapter 26, which, was, which is what we studied last week, the Lord, through the prophet Ezekiel, continues to describe the doom which was to come upon Tyre due to the attitude of pride, self-satisfaction, and independence from God, which led them into all kinds of sin and all kinds of wickedness. Now, take note that this is going to really be the centerpiece of everything that Tyre does. They're prideful. They, they seek self-satisfaction. And they definitely seek an independence from the God of Israel. <clears throat> and, and of course, they have their own gods. They probably worship many gods. Which means they are completely independent from the God of Israel. Because God, the God of Israel, uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob says, there's only one God and I'm him. And, and you're to worship me and, and, and me only. But those attitudes, pride, self-satisfaction, and independence from God, do lead into all kinds of sin and wickedness. And don't think that if you run into a church that you're going to be safe from it. Understand, every one of us is human. We all are in flesh. And so the temptations are oftentimes aimed directly toward us by the enemy. So keep that in mind. Now, the chapter itself, chapter 27, is described as a lamentation over Tyre. A lamentation being a funeral, a funeral dirge or a poetic requiem. 
and that for a very good reason. In other words, it's a song, it's a funeral song, as it were, but it's a lament. It has a, it has a lot to do with a sorrow uh, for, for this loss, a sorrow for this death. And, and as I said, it's for a very good reason, because in spite of what some people may think, judgment is never the Lord's enjoyment. Judgment is never the Lord's pleasure, and is, it is never his delight. So I've said it in those three ways so you'll understand fully that God does not delight in judgment. So you got the, you got the, the point? God does not delight in judgment. I want you to consider this verse that is found later in this prophecy, Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Now he's speaking directly to the house of Israel, but this is what he says. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Now again, if you go back to the thought that, I, that I, I stated just a little bit earlier, of the thought that, listen, don't think that you can you just come into a church and you're, and you're safe from all the sin and, and, and wickedness in the world. The problem is sometimes we bring it in ourselves. And, and remember that the judgment came first to the house of God. Judgment came first to Israel. Judgment came first to Judah because of their sin, because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion against God. So here he says, I don't have pleasure in the death of the wicked. And he doesn't say that to say, well, just to the, to the Israelites. No, he has no pleasure in the death of any wicked. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Every society, every culture, every, every nation that God has ever had to deal with will never suffer judgment unjustly. Never suffer judgment unjustly. Everyone's given the same opportunity from God. So God's heart then, what we need to understand here is that God's heart is grieved when it becomes necessary to deal in judgment and wrath with those who have rejected the Lord's gracious warnings and even his reasoned objections and have refused to turn from their iniquities. He grieves over this. This is why he calls this a lamentation. This lamentation pictures this commercial and seafaring city, Tyre, as a majestic and strong ship that, that becomes shipwrecked in a storm and sinks to the bottom of the sea. That's the picture that we see here. The first nine verses of chapter 27 describe the ship's beauty, its majesty, pointing to her past glory. Verses 10 to 25 list all the nations that Tyre has traded her merchandise with and, and those that were her allies. And then lastly, in verses 26 through 36, these verses describe Tyre's disastrous shipwreck, which is her destruction by God, his judgment upon Tyre. So with those things in mind, let's, let's go back to verses 1 through 4 to get a better understanding of these of, of these uh, statements. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Now thou son of man, take up a lamentation for Tyrus, 
and say unto Tyrus, O thou that art situate at the entry of the sea, which art a merchant of the people for many idols or islands, thus saith the Lord God, O Tyrus, thou hast said, I am a perfect beauty. I am of perfect beauty. Thy borders are in the midst of the seas. Thy builders have perfected thy beauty. Remember now from last week that Tyre was not just a coastal city uh, on, on, the, on the shores of what is today Lebanon, but about half a mile out, of, uh, out into the sea, there was an island, and that was also part of Tyre. And, and, and this is where they retreated to. This is why it took so long for Babylon, you know, 13 years trying to destroy it, didn't destroy it, and it took 150 years later for Alexander the Great to come and finally finish the work. So uh, this, this is, uh, these are just points to remember. But again, as a point of review, understand that Tyre had not been destroyed as of the prophecy. So in 588, as I said, the Babylonians attacked uh, to destroy Tyre. And then some 150 years later, Alexander did. But then I also mentioned another thing. Later on, it was built up again. And it was uh, controlled for a little while by, by the Crusaders in 1290 A.D. or before 1290 A.D., and then in 1290, the Muslims uh, came and they completed the destruction of Tyre. So that was destroyed completely. At that point, it was never rebuilt again. So as we look at this, we need to look at it from God's perspective. Because from God's perspective, their destruction was so certain that the Lord calls for the lamentation to be offered for them. And what God says will come to pass. And you can, and, and you can count on on. Uh, on that without any doubt whatsoever that God's will is going to happen and this is what happened to Tyre always remember now that this prophecy was before it happened it was before it happened we look at history to have it confirmed so Ezekiel states the prophecy Babylon does not go and attack it until later, doesn't finish the job. Much later, Alexander and the Greeks come and finish the, uh, the destruction. So, when God says it's going to be destroyed, it's going to be destroyed. And then in verse 5 of our text in Ezekiel 27, it says, uh, They have made all thy ships boards of fir trees of Senir. Senir, by the way, is, is really an, an area that is up in the uh, uh, Mount Hermon area uh, where uh, Lebanon and Syria and Israel meet. It's up in that particular area. So there were the, the fir trees of Senir. Uh, they have taken cedars from Lebanon. Of course, Lebanon was known uh, in, the, in, the, in the world of that time, the, whole, the known world of that time, as, uh, the, the make, as the ones who who grew this, the great cedars that they wanted to use to build in, in, in all kinds of ways. So they have taken cedars from Lebanon to make masts for thee. Of the oaks of Bashan have they made thine oars. Uh, Bashan is an area that we know today as the Golan Heights. So kind of in the area of uh, northeast of, uh, of the um, Jordan River. Uh, they were uh, there on those hills, the oaks of Bashan. They used them for the oars of the ships. 
the company of the Asherites have made thy benches of ivory. The Asherites were actually really uh, the, the family of the uh, tribe of Asher of, 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 uh, of Israel. Uh, the company of the Asherites have made the benches of ivory, uh, brought out of the isles of Hittim. Hittim is Cyprus. So, I mean, we're looking at a world map here of things that, that are happening in the time of Ezekiel. Fine linen with broidered work from Egypt was that which thou spreadest forth to be thy sail. Well, we know where Egypt is. Uh, blue and purple from the isles of Elisha was that which covered thee. And the isles of Elisha were the uh, islands that were near Greece. So there were Grecian islands, and so this is where the blue and the purple came. So the people of, of Tyre then considered themselves strong, powerful, and wealthy. And this is described in the illustration of a ship, clearly pointing to this maritime community. The ship was crafted beautifully with wood that was strong and resilient. In other words, it was buoyant. It, it really could get on the sea and, and stay on the sea and, 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 and really show its strength on the sea. The oars uh, could cut through any sea with ease because of the kind of wood that, uh, that they were made with. And while the sails could guide them wherever they wanted to go, far or near, they still had a problem. Because the Lord was deeply grieved over Tyre's pride, over Tyre's conceit, and over Tyre's self-exaltation. And of course, we should know that pride is one of the sins that the Lord hates the most. And if we don't know that, we should know that. We're told in Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. All of those things are connected. Pride and arrogance, conceit, that's the evil way. The froward mouth, the, 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 the conceited mouth, the arrogant mouth. Do I hate? How many nations have been brought low and destroyed by pride? And all pride really is, when, when you consider it, is a sense of superiority and seeing yourself as something that you're not. Even the Apostle Paul would say, take heed to yourselves when you think more of yourselves than you should. Take heed of that. And certainly the idea is that anyone filled with pride has no room for God. Anyone filled with pride has no room for God. Listen to the words of Proverbs 26, verse 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? In other words, you see somebody that's wise in their, own, in, in their own eyes, wise in their own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than of him. Pride or self-conceit in anyone blinds them to their sense of need for God. And in God's eyes, they are worse than a fool. Implying, by the way, that a fool at least may at some point see their sin and eventually see their need for God and turn towards him. Some of us might say that that's our testimony. Some of us might say, well, you know, I was pretty foolish when I was an unbeliever. I did foolish things. I did foolish things all the time. But then I realized 
that I was a sinner. Then I came to the realization that, that if I were to die today, I'd, I'd be eternally separated from God. God can reach a, a fool's heart. But how difficult is it to reach the heart of a prideful person? Now, nothing's impossible with God, right? But it is difficult. There are some difficult things. Jesus talked about some difficult things when he said, you know, that it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than you know, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. But rich men can enter into the kingdom of God, but it's, it's a hard thing. So how much more when we deal with the issue of pride? So a fool can see their need for God and, turns toward, and turn towards God, but, but not the person who sees themselves as wise. Much more difficult. We have to humble ourselves. The one great lesson we all learn when we come to Jesus Christ is he's God and we're not. He's the Lord and we're not. He's the king and we're not. Pride can also keep people from receiving the truths of God's word. In Jeremiah chapter 43, as the, as the prophet Jeremiah tried to warn those who were, who were not taken captive to Babylon, not to flee down to Egypt, because they were being told, go to Egypt, you'll be okay over there in Egypt. Uh, but, but he was telling, no, 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 surrender, go to Babylon. God was telling Jeremiah to tell the people, go to Babylon. You can't escape judgment, so go to Babylon and get settled there. You'll be there 70 years. He stated to them that this was God's will for them, but I want you to read something. Read uh, with me Jeremiah 43, verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking unto all the people, all the words of the Lord their God. So God was telling Jeremiah what to tell his people, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, even all these words. Then spake Azariah the son of Hushiah and Johanan the son of Kareah, and all the proud men, notice, all the proud men. I think it's great that we see that word proud there. So that we can really focus upon the heart of these people. Saying unto Jeremiah, thou speaketh falsely. They're telling the prophet of God, you're the false prophet. Thou speaketh falsely. The Lord our God has not sent thee to say, go not into Egypt to sojourn there. But Baruch the son of Neriah setteth thee again, uh, on against us. Which means the, Baruch incites you against us. For to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they might put us to death and carry us away captives into Babylon. Well, when God is saying, I'm going to judge you, and, and in this judgment, you know, you, you know, I'm going to provide for you, but you need to submit to this captivity. What do they say? No. You just you want us to go over there and they're going to put us to death and carry us away captives. 
You see now the kind of attitude that, or, that, that, or, or the kind of thing that that attitude of pride does to the, to the listening, to the hearing, and to the seeing, and to the receiving of the word of God. That word came from God through his prophet. They didn't want to hear the true prophet. They wanted to hear the false what is going to happen in the last days? What is going to happen in a time that, in a, in a way, it's already happening. It's happening in little bits and pieces, but it, it's going to happen in a greater sense in the very near future where people are going to look at things and, 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 and just say, you know what, there's, there's, this, there's this new Messiah. There's, there's a new person on the scene. And we're going to listen to that. And all those things that you were telling us about Jesus this and Jesus that and Jesus coming and, 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 and rapturing the church and taking everybody, you know, all of that, that's just, that's, that's not going to happen. We're going to, have a, we're going to have our heaven on earth and all these things are going to happen here. And what does the scriptures tell us? Jesus himself says, in those days and times, do not be deceived. For there will be false prophets among you. There will be false teachers among you. And leading you astray. And you see, if, 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 if the enemy can get people to get you away from the word of God and start trusting man's word instead, what is that going to do? You're not going to look at the word which the word, which, which the word itself tells us. This is the mirror. This is the light. This is what we use to look at what is being said to see if it conforms with God's word or not. Or with what somebody is telling us God's word is saying. And we've seen, I mean, we, all we have to do is look at just some of the ways that they have taken the word of God and, 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 and discounted it. And said, you know, we, we, all this thing about gender problems and all these issues of same-sex marriage and all of these things. I mean, these things are condemned in the word of God. It's pure and simple. But today, the, 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 the society is saying, and, and, and others are saying, and even some people in the church, in, in the certain wings of, of, of Christendom, you know, where they, they, they look like Christians, they might even smell like Christians, but what does a Christian smell like? The point of the matter is this. Do they, does their word stand up to God's word? Because if it doesn't, then it's false. This is why we study the word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Because we have it there in front of us. And pride blinds people to the things of God. And this is going to be the problem where people are going to be so deceived that they're going to miss the whole boat, as it were. The consequences is, you know, will be tragic. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit, a haughty, conceited, arrogant spirit, goes before a fall. But the answer is simple but profound. Proverbs 29, verse 23 says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. 
I'm going to I'm going to share a verse with you. I don't have in my notes, but I but I want you to turn there. It's Psalm 51. I want you to turn to Psalm 51 in your Bibles. I want to hear your Bibles moving, moving and grooving, flapping in the wind, pages kind of sort of thing. I want you to look down at verse 17, Psalm 51, verse 17. And David says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. That is what happens when we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ. That is what happens when we surrender to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When we surrender our lives fully and totally. I, I don't understand the things that some people say, you know, if you come to the Lord, you get to have everything you want to get. You can, you can speak things into existence. You can, you know, you can make your, your, you know, your, your way, you can, your dreams will all come true, you know, dreamology. You know, my, my, my answer to that is, hey, dream on, man, but... Ain't, ain't what it's all about. I figure if we're dreaming too much, we're eating too much spicy food. I think. It's being humbled. The fact of the matter is, we're taught by Jesus and we're taught by the apostles. We're even taught by the prophets that we're to die to ourselves so that God will live in us. Christ will live in us because Christ is the hope of glory. Our Messiah is the hope of glory. Honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. When I, when I look at the cross, I'm humbled. I know the victory is mine in Jesus Christ. I know the victory is yours. We rejoice when we gather together and we sing unto the Lord. When we praise him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we give him all the praise, honor, and glory. Man, I know that we know the victory is ours. But you know what? It humbles us. It humbles us that God would come to this earth and take upon himself flesh. And be as perfect as the Lamb of God is supposed to be and still go on that cross on, on my behalf and on your behalf to die on that cross for our sins and to pay the penalty for our sins by the shedding of his blood. And then not only that, but to say it is finished, the work has been done, to be buried and on the third day to rise again from the dead, conquering sin and death finally forever. That's our victory, isn't it? And we can say amen to that. We can shout for, you know, glory to the Lord. But let me tell you, it humbles you. It humbles you. It makes us realize we're not worthy of these things. But it's so good to know how much Jesus loves us. It always brings to mind that simple little song. Jesus loves me. 
This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. That's our song. That's our victory lap. But that also humbles us. It keeps us as children, which is what he wants us to be. We're his children. We're his people. I hope you are his child. The next section of our text, let's get back into Ezekiel. Next section of our text deals with a strong labor force of Tyre, verses 8 through 11. The inhabitants of Zidon and Arvad. Zidon is just another word for Sidon. I think sometimes you hear or read Tyre and Sidon together. They're, they're sister cities. They're about 20 miles apart. And Arvad, uh, I'll tell you where that is in a minute. Uh, it says the inhabitants of Zidon and Arvad were thy mariners. Arvad was on the coast also, in uh, the Syrian coast. Thy wise men, O Tyrus, that were in thee were thy pilots. The ancients of Gebal and the wise men thereof were in thee thy caulkers, which means they were the, they were the repairmen, they were the craftsmen. You know, they, they built a ship, but they also repaired the ship. They kept the ship in, in, in good working order. All the ships of the sea with their mariners were in thee to occupy thy merchandise. This was the kind of place that Tyre was, you see. They of Persia and of Lud and of Fut were in thine army, thy, thy men of war. They, they hanged the shield and helmet in thee. They set forth thy comeliness. The men of Arvad with thine army were upon thy walls round about, and the Gamadims were in, in thy towers. Uh, they, they hanged their shields upon thy walls round about. They have made thy perfect beauty, or thy beauty perfect. I'm not, I'm not dyslexic. Just don't know what happened there. Maybe I'd cross my eyes at the right moment. Made thy beauty perfect. It's been recorded in history <clears throat> that the economy of Tyre <clears throat> was so strong that there, there weren't enough laborers within the city to fill all the available jobs. And so the shipping businesses had to go to the surrounding Phoenician cities to secure enough laborers to man the ships. And of course, they needed to be Phoenicians because the Phoenicians primarily were maritime people. Uh, the oarsmen were from Zidon, the sister city I mentioned, uh, sister city port 20 miles north of Tyre, and Arvad, a Phoenician island off the Syrian coast. Uh, the craftsmen builders were from Gebal, also from the coast of Syria. Now, the Gebalites had actually been used by Solomon in the construction of the temple. So you can read that in 1 Kings 5.18 if you're interested in the, in the Gebalites. Uh, Gebal, they're from Gebal. <clears throat> but the second part of verse 9 states that every land wanted to trade with Tyre. Every land wanted to trade with them. They, they were the business hub of the ancient world with all the commercial nations wanting to carry goods to and from Tyre. 
Uh, you, you, you could probably say you know, it was like, like New York City or one of those kinds of uh, Tokyo, Japan, you know, these big, huge, uh, you know, Shanghai, Hong Kong, big, huge metropolises where, where the, the sea was important, but so was business, and, and the business that came into the city would cause the city to grow, more people would come, more people would get involved, more people wanted to bring their stuff there because it was being sold to a lot of people. So that's, that's what Tyre was like. And uh, its wealth was protected by, by an interesting collection of mercenary soldiers from Lydia, which is Lud, uh, Libya, which most of you know in, in northern Africa, that was uh, also known as Fut. And then Persia, of course, we all know the Persians uh, were the descendants of, of the modern-day Iranians. But with all that wealth flowing in and out of the city, a strong military was certainly needed, and, and these soldiers literally just hung their shields and helmets on the walls, adding to the city's splendor. That's what it was talking about, hanging their, their shields and their helmets on the walls. So they kind of used it as decoration for the city. And depending on whatever materials that those, those uh, helmets and, and shields were made, you know, it probably had some kind of glinting to it when the sun would hit it, and so would, would kind of make the city look rather beautiful in some way. Uh, other, uh, other soldiers from Phoenician cities uh, served on the walls of the city as security forces, hanging their shields and helmets as well. So what God is saying in these, in these statements here is that in, in their own eyes, in, in the eyes of the people from Tyre, and in the eyes of the world, because the world was looking at Tyre as the place they wanted to go, bring their goods, and from there they would, you know, they would branch out into all of the world. But to them, Tyre was perfect. Tyre was perfect. You remember on Sunday I, I mentioned to you that, um, that the world has this ideal uh, perfect city, you know. But it's built from all the characteristics of all these other cities. And, and I thought, man, you, you, you have to borrow from this city, that city, this city, this city, you know, to, to make one perfect city. If, you know, if they would just come to the Lord, they'll know that they can, they'll have access into the one perfect city that they'll ever be. And that's that city of God in heaven. Which you can, by the way, read about in, in the, at the end of the book of Revelation. But you can do that. That's your homework. But to the world, Tyre was perfect. It was perfect because of its, its, uh, the way that it made others rich. But there's a problem. God doesn't see it the same way. In fact, in the uh, prophecy of Obadiah, Obadiah, which is a one-chapter uh, book in verse 4 of Obadiah. And this was a prophecy against Edom, one of the other nations that was judged by God in, in chapter 25. But though it says in verse 4, though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. When you begin to put yourself above all things and above all peoples and above all cities as if you're the greatest or you're the best, I'll bring you down. Because you've only concentrated on yourself and you haven't looked to me. 
So consider now that the Lord was deeply grieved over Tyre's preoccupation with material possessions. And remember that this is a continuing lament. Remember this is a lamentation, mourning over the spirit of covetousness and greed that had gripped these people. Now this next section, I'm going to comment on verses 12 through 25, so it's a big long passage, but I'm just going to comment on each verse. And, and uh, just notice all the nations that are tied into Tyre. For example, in verse 12, Tarshish, which is, uh, which is Spain, actually. Tarshish was, was thy merchant by reason of the multitude of all kinds of riches. With silver, iron, tin, and lead, they traded in, their fares, in thy fares. So Tarshish had this, this uh, connection with, with Tyre, and they, they love Tyre because they can bring all of their silver and their iron, tin, and lead, and oh, they traded, which means they sold it, and, and they got something back, probably got back more than what they had brought. Uh, Javan, in verse 13, Javan is Greece, by the way. Tubal and Meshech, is, uh, they're, they're found in the area of Turkey. They were thy merchants. They traded the persons of men, which means slaves, by the way. They were slave traders, and, and they also traded vessels of brass, which was bronze, in thy market. Then it goes on in verse 14. They of the house of Tagarma. Tagarma also is Turkey, or found in that region of Asia Minor, which is Turkey. Uh, Tagarma traded in thy fares with horses and horsemen and mules. So that's, this is what they brought to, to Tyre to sell and, and, uh, and to make uh, money on. Uh, the men of Dedan, which is in northwest Arabia, were thy merchants. So these were, these were Arabians or Arabs. Many isles were the merchandise of thine hand. They brought thee for a present uh, horns of ivory and ebony. So they, they dealt with ivory and ebony, uh, ivory, of course, coming from certain animals with tusks and all. I guess you'll know which animals those are. And, uh, and then the ebony and all, uh, certain, kind of, uh, certain kind of stone. Syria was thy merchant by reason of the multitude of the wares of thy making. They occupied in thy fairs with emeralds, pearl, or I'm sorry, purple, and embroidered work and fine linen, and coral, and agate. So very fine, precious stones uh, was what uh, is found in, in the area of Syria. And then notice in verse 17, Judah. Judah, the, the nation that God is taking into captivity. Judah and the land of Israel, they were thy merchants. They traded in thy market wheat of Mineth, a minute being a, just a location in, in, in Israel, and Panag. Panag was actually a, a Phoenician word for, for Canaan. So uh, they, they trade in thy market wheat of Minith and Panag and honey and oil and balm. And then Damascus, of course, is the capital of Syria in eight, verse 18. Damascus was thy merchant in the multitude of the wares of thy making for the multitude of all riches in the wine of Helbon and, and, and white wool. Uh, and then in verse 19, it mentions Dan. And by the way, this is not the tribe of Dan, which is up in the northern part of Israel. Uh, this is uh, really a, a shortened version of the word Vedan. 
uh, and also Javan, which is not Greece itself, but actually Dan and Javan were part of a Greek colony in Arabia, going to and fro occupied in thy fairs. And what they dealt with was bright iron, and, and bright iron is, is literally wrought iron, but a wrought iron that could be polished. So it was, that's why they called it bright. And then it mentions cassia, or cassia, which is a cinnamon bark, cinnamon bark, uh, and calamus, which is sweet cane. They were in thy market. And then Dedan is mentioned again in verse 20. Dedan was thy merchant in precious clothes for chariots. Arabia and all the princes of Kedar, which is also in Arabia, they occupied with thee in lambs and rams and goats. In these were, thy, were they thy, thy merchants. And then in verse 22, the merchants of Sheba and Ramah, which is in southern Arabia, they were thy merchants. They occupied in thy fairs with chief of all spices and, all, and with all precious stones and gold. Uh, verse 23, Haran and Kane and Eden, which is actually in Mesopotamia or the area of Chaldea from which the uh, Babylonians were from. Uh, the merchants of Sheba, Ashur, and Kilmad were thy merchants. These were thy merchants in all sorts of things, in blue clothes and uh, broidered work. That's why I wrote blue clothes today. You know, just, but it didn't come from over there, honestly. In blue clothes, uh, broidered work, and in chests of rich apparel, bound with cords, and made of cedar among thy merchandise. And then Tarshish, once again, in verse 25, the ships of Tarshish did sing of thee in thy market, and thou wast replenished and made very glorious in the midst of the sea. So it all sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds like today. I mean, just the, all the marketing going on in the world and, and whatnot. But with all of that said, with all of that said, not only was Tyre wealthy, but they fed the material appetite of the other nations. And in these relationships, both parties, depending on Tyre and the, you know, the Tarshish, Tyre and, and Mesopotamia, Tyre and Dedan and whatever, both parties prospered and received the things that they wanted. They got what they wanted. So all sorts of trading took place. It was the mall of the world. The mall of the world. And as was the case then, so it is today. Money is, is a necessity of life. It pays for housing, for food, for clothing and other necessities. And there's nothing sinful about money or most material possessions. But they become sinful when we set our hearts on them and focus primarily on getting more. When we just want to focus on getting more and more and more and more, then we have to deal with something that the Word of God says. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, Paul says, for the love of money. Now what does it say? The love of money. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Some people have, say, have stated it that way. No, money is a necessity. Sometimes it's a, you know, an evil necessity, but, or a, you know, but it's a necessity. We all use it. We all need it. But it's not what he says. He says, for the love of money. 
is the root of all kind of evil. And I, I put kind there because some of your translations say that, but, but if you'll notice, in the King James it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. All evil. Doesn't discriminate. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We, we sometimes think, oh, it would be great if we were rich. And sometimes we think that, you know, people that get there are having the time of their lives. And they say, send me thirty nine ninety five, and I'll show you how I got this way. Right? Have you seen those uh, infomercials? Send me forty nine ninety five, and I'll give you all the tips that you need to become rich just like me. <clears throat> Jesus talked about somebody that built more and more barns and built more and more silos and filled it more and more with, with all of the wheat and, and grain that he needed. And, you know, he just was so proud of himself and he just said, you know, well, I've accomplished everything to be rich. But God says, but on this night, I'm gonna, I require your life. Eat, drink, and be married today because tomorrow you're mine. Tomorrow you die. Because we never know when that's going to happen. That's when we begin to realize we can't take anything with us. We can't take anything with us. Is it any wonder then that Jesus himself said... Lay up for your, yourselves treasures in heaven where neither wrath nor where neither moth nor rust uh, you know uh, destroy where neither thieves can break in and steal don't lay for your don't lay for yourselves treasures on earth because those very things can take it all and he said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If you laid it up in heaven. Loving money and the things of this world will cause us to be greedy, cause us to be covetous. And in the end, that only brings sorrow. It doesn't bring joy. It doesn't bring joy at all. I think I made reference to this earlier, but in Mark chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, Jesus said, that, well, it says the disciples were astonished at the words of Jesus, but Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in the riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And that's, as I said, that's just the truth. That's the truth. And so God's long-suffering was over and his judgment was going to fall on Tyre. Verse 26 says, Thy rowers have brought thee into great waters. The east wind has broken thee in the midst of the seas. 
thy riches and thy fares, thy merchandise, thy mariners and thy pilots, thy calkers and the occupiers of thy merchandise and all thy men of war that are in thee and in all thy company which is in the midst of thee shall fall into the midst of the seas in the day of thy ruin. May, may I remind you, and I didn't do it earlier and I should have, but may I remind you that the reason why Tyre is being judged by God isn't just because of these things that we've seen here so far today. But if you remember from last week, God is judging Tyre because they were happy that, it, that Judah was destroyed and Jerusalem was destroyed because they wanted to go in and take the riches of Judah for themselves. Once Babylon had destroyed the city. You see, Ammon and Moab and, 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 and Edom just were glad that Jerusalem was destroyed because of envy and they were, because of you know, their, their hatred for Israel. But Tyre was glad that they were destroyed because they could go in and because of their greed, in other words. Just a reminder. So of Tyre, it says that they traveled near and far on the seas until one day a violent wind of island east wind came, we're told, in those verses I just read. The east wind, by the way, is Babylon. And it sunk their, sunk their ship, traveling on the Mediterranean Sea, even today, because those of us have been to Israel, and we go right, right, right there on the Mediterranean Sea in Caesarea. And, and we see, the, I mean, there, there have been days we, <laughs> we've been there in storm, we weather, man. I mean, to tell you, it's just like... You're just dripping from top to bottom, and is, you know, and you got jackets on and everything, and it's cold, and and, and you look at the, the 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 choppiness of the sea out there. Big, huge boats are out there, of course, but but in those days and times in, in the Mediterranean, no matter how good the boats were, uh, sometimes they would just be capsized. So it can still be very dangerous, especially during the fall and winter months, when when the winds can be so unpredictable. An east wind can, can blow a ship far from the coast and out into the ocean where there's little hope for survival, depending on the vessel, of course. Well, the place that, that, that fell so secure for them, the sea, became Tyre's graveyard. That, that's the picture that God is drawing here. Tyre was going down like a sinking ship. And as we read on in verse 28, it says, The suburbs shall shake at the sound of the cry of thy pilots, and all that handle the oar, the mariners, and all the pilots of the sea shall come down from their ships. They shall stand upon the land and shall cause their voice to be heard against thee and shall cry bitterly and shall cast up dust upon their heads, which was a sign of mourning. And they, they shall wallow themselves in the ashes and they shall make themselves utterly bald for thee and gird them with sackcloth, more signs of mourning. And they shall weep for thee with bitterness of heart and bitter wailing. And in their wailing, they shall take up a lamentation for thee and lament over thee, saying, what city is like Tyrus, like the, like, like the destroyed in the midst of the sea? They, you know, their whole livelihood, they, they were looking at the place where their whole livelihood had now come to an end. All the nations and the people that prospered from Tyre will mourn their death, will mourn her death. Not because the people of Tyre are gone. Listen again, not because the people are gone, but the merchandise, the business, and the things that they enjoyed for so long have been taken away from them. And for that reason, they will mourn over Tyre's destruction. What does that say about the heart? People get destroyed all the time. 
you know, I, I honestly believe that there's an insensitivity that is built into, into Hollywood and, 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 the, and the movies that we see uh, oftentimes, uh, whether we like them or not. I mean, that's, that's not the, the, the point of me- mentioning this. But the fact of the matter is you can, you can see things, uh, you know, where, where groups of people, you know, they're, they're in war of, of some sort or another and, and people die, but there's no mourning over their loss. You know, well, you're... you're upset that they're dead, but, but then you win the victory and every, everything's okay and everybody, you know, rejoices over that. But there, there's no focus on the mourning part of it. In most cases, I'm not saying in all cases, but in most cases. That's the insensitivity that Hollywood puts into people's heads. Because they can only say the story that they're trying to tell you in two and a half hours or whatever it is. There's something wrong with the heart when, when, all you can, when all you're concerned about is a place dying out because you're, you're going to lose out on, on, on things. Let's finish up here because of time. Let's look at verse 33. When thy wares went forth out of the seas, thou fillest many people. Thou didst enrich the kings of the earth with a multitude of thy riches and of thy merchandise. In the time when thou shalt be broken by the seas and the depths of the waters, thy merchandise and all thy company in the midst of thee shall fall. All the inhabitants of the isles shall be astonished at thee, and their kings shall be sore afraid. They shall be troubled in their countenance. The merchants among the people shall hiss at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt be any more. Tyre would not rise again. And the fulfillment of that prophecy can be seen today. I mentioned that that city on the coast uh, of of, uh, Lebanon is just a a fishing village uh, that's right by the, uh, you know, the the remains of of the city of, of Tyre. It's a little fishing village, and they throw their nets on the flattened rocks because God flattened that place out. And once again, notice that the people who are mourning Tyre's destruction are upset not so much at the loss of life, but because their goods and their merchandise and their toys have been taken away. It's hard to imagine a people so cold and heartless and callous. But again, consider the times in which we live and the time that is yet to come, which is not too far away. I want to close by having you read with me Revelation chapter 18. Not the whole chapter, but the beginning of it. And I want to close with this because I want you to see the, 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 the similarities of certain things as we read this. Because this is now that which is yet to come. A city is going to fall. A great city. And to know what city that is, of course, you'll, you'll need to go back in, in to our Revelation study because we did an extensive study on who Babylon is. But notice in verse 1 of Revelation 8, 18, it says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen is fallen and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich 
through the abundance of her delicacies. How similar to Tyre is this Babylon? And if you remember, we drew a, a, we drew a, a, a connection with uh, the, the nations of, of Saudi Arabia, uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, because if you'll, if you'll go back to places like Dubai and, uh, and, and even in uh, you know, the, the major city in, uh, in Saudi Arabia, I mean, they're going into these, these great competitions to see who could build the tallest buildings. And what's interesting is, and I, I talked about this back in our study of Revelation, those two buildings that are competing for, you know, the tallest building in the world, they're in the form of a ziggurat, a ziggurat, not a cigarette, a ziggurat, which is a type of building that is a spiral up into the heaven. What does that remind you of? Babel, Tower of Babel. And that's this Babylon. So, there, there, I mean, there's a, a place already. But, again, I'm, you know, get to the study. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the earth are waxed rich to the abundance of her delicacies. How many nations are trading and going into that place? And, you know, they have slave trade there, right? They're, all the slaves, they have slaves from many countries that are building all these buildings. I mean, there's... Money that you just, I mean, you can't imagine how much money there is in these, in these countries. Some of it, of course, comes from the oil, from the, from the Saudi Arabian uh, kings and, and princes. But a lot of it is just this trade that's going on. Another picture that we're in the last days. Verse 4, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. And the people is, you know, these would be the tribulation saints. For her, sin, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works. In the cup which she has filled, filled to her double. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. That's pride. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And then lastly, verses 9 through 11, and the kings of the earth, so now, again, look at some of the similarities. The kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived del uh, deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her. Same language. And when they see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. What does that tell you? The very same thing that Tyre was destroyed for is the reason why Babylon will be destroyed. The Babylon of Revelation 18. And the hearts of the kings of the earth, what is it? They mourn because, not because the people are dead. I mean, there's going to be catastrophic destruction. Worse than any of the atom bombs thrown on, on, on uh, Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki. Worse than those, because it's a judgment from God. 
But the, the kings of the earth mourn and wail because no man buys their merchandise anymore. What does it say about the heart? What does it say about the heart of man today? Turning away from God. How many countries, how many nations, how many peoples are rejecting wholesale the gospel of Jesus Christ? The only thing that can save people. The only thing that can take them through this, uh, this time that is yet to come and bring them home safely in the ark of God's love, in the ark of God's grace, the ark, which is Jesus Christ himself, the ark of Jesus Christ. And so next week in verse 28, we continue with one more section dealing with Tyre, but this one now deals with the king of Tyre, which has a lot of connections not only to Satan, but to, to the Antichrist as well. So uh, stay tuned, which means you've got to come back. Let's pray.